Okay, good morning everybody. It's great to see the place has filled up a bit compared to the prayer meeting. That's awesome. Um, so just a special greeting to um, some of my family that are here, um, Mark and Stacy, my daughter, so all the way from East London. It's actually awesome to have them. And my granddaughter, she's probably tearing the Sunday school apart. Okay. <laughs> and, and my wifey that's been away for 10 days. Oh, Mr. Um. Anyway, I also want to bring you greetings from Russell and Jenny. So many of you know they've just been on an outreach up to Kitmans and up to Vintook. So clocked over 4,000 Ks for the kingdom. And that's added on to, I don't know, the 5,000 odd that they did going up into Natal and then back through to Gauteng a few weeks previous to that. So we're very privileged to have um, a guy leading us in this context that, that really has a responsibility that's way bigger than just the local congregation, um, that's actually sowing into towns and villages and places the pattern of New Testament church. Okay, So it's, we're radically blessed to have that kind of DNA working into us. And even this morning, I know Stacy and Sherman are at Brackenfall, and Anne's and Lee are in Otsuren. Um, okay, there's a whole team with him there, I think. I don't know. Yeah, it's amazing, eh? So even as empty as we are, and the fact that people are away on holiday, there are teams reaching out into diff- different church contexts. So I wanted to share that because we're not just a church in isolation. This is what God is doing amongst us as a people, just weaving in this pattern of New Testament church. So I'm radically excited about that. Are you? Okay, I hope to see you out there. <laughs> um, so this morning, I do want to build on what I feel the Holy Spirit has been saying to us as a church over the past three weeks. Um, about two weeks ago, I think it was, Kevin preached, and he shared a word essentially that for me, and I'll summarize it from my perspective, I know everybody kind of hears the message a bit different, but what I heard him say was that, you know, sometimes when we go through stuff, it's important that we see Jesus. That we don't run to the elder and the whatever else. Because in a sense, you cannot live second-hand Christianity. You've got to be connected to him. He's the author and perfecter of faith. He's the one that actually gives you life. Okay? It's his words that we hang on. And so, so the thrust of Kevin's preach was, man, let's turn our eyes on him. Because actually he's got all the answers. Okay, so that, that was about two weeks ago. And then last week, Sherman shared a word concerning faith. And just just... I want to give the sound guys a warning. I tend to shout a lot, so you might want to watch the volume, okay? Right. I don't want to shout. Right. I just get excited. Okay. And, and so Sherman shared this word um, concerning faith. Okay. And I really believe that is something that God is stirring up in this season. Um, we all like to think we have faith. But the word says when the Lord comes back, will he find faith on the earth? So sometimes I think our concept of faith is quite different to what the Lord has in mind. And so, so we need to be stirred up to have the faith that he's expecting to find when he returns. And Sherman shared an awesome preach. I've never heard him preach like that. Um, but basically about his life's journey and how faith took him into like really awkward situations where to confess a whole lot of stuff and, and actually start a whole new life in front of God. Okay. And, and, and people, okay? So, so sometimes I think we, we think it's all about this, but actually if we don't have relationship, if we don't have fellowship, if we don't have that kind of transparency with one another, it, it's, not really, it's not really biblical, amen? So this morning I wanna, I'm going to read, 
and I said this last time I preached, so I may be getting the habit of it. I'm going to read a lot of scripture. Okay? Please don't go to sleep. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm going to preface it with some things that I encountered this week. I really believe God is taking us on a journey. We are in a journey. Okay? Life is a journey. Right? And um, I, I watched this little TV clip on, on YouTube about minimalism. Oh, I said it without stuttering. How awesome is that? Minimalism. All right. And, and, and it struck a chord with me. And I'll tell you why. Not because the clip was anything to do with Christianity, but there was a principle that we filled our lives with so much busyness and so much stuff that ours aren't on God anymore. Okay? And in fact, we've come to the place where, where we're actually saying, God bless my busyness and bless me so I can have more stuff. Okay? So I don't think any of us wakes up with that mindset. I don't think we intentionally want to walk down that path. But it's a pattern that the world kind of pushes down on you and you buy into it. And the effect is that the amount of time that we have with God is reduced and we actually become disorientated. Okay? So, so I'm going to share some, some scripture this morning and ask you to be patient as we go through that. Um, and we'll start with, let's start with Hebrews chapter 3. Okay? I don't know what translation I'll have. Okay. So the, fir- the first few verses kind of um, reinforce what, what Kevin preached about. Um, when you see the chapters in Scripture, like, you know, sometimes we'll read a chapter or not, or like we'll read the Word. How many of you know that the actual chapters and verses are not divine? Not divinely inspired. Do you know that? So, for instance, Hebrews is one of those good passages where chapter 3 and chapter 4 are actually all the same thing. And somebody put the end of chapter 3 halfway in the middle, but actually the spirit through whoever the writer was is trying to convey something which is all tied together. Amen? All right, so we're going to read this. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling. Wow. Okay. like got stuck right there. could preach a message. Heavenly calling. Every one of you is sharing in a heavenly calling. And you see, when Nolan spoke about this week, he got some fresh manna. It's related to that heavenly calling. It's part of the journey. Okay, Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was, the faithful, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. And Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we confess. I don't know what the last line says. It's off the screen. Okay, But I just wanted to pause there. So, so there's something that Moses does that points to the future. Jesus, in a sense, is the manifestation of the real, the thing that Moses was pointing to. So when we read the account of what happened um, of the people of Israel delivered from Egypt, going through a wilderness, entering into a promised land, it is a picture speaking of what is to come. It is useful to us to understand the journey so that we in our journey can understand the challenges that we face. 
Amen. So we can flick over to the next verse. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As they did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. For 40 years, they saw what God did. So I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray. If ever there was a message for the 21st century, I was angry with that generation, because their hearts are always going astray, and they've not known my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom he was angry, who was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, sinned and whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if it was not those who were delivered from Egypt? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Okay, so I want you to see some threads here. There's a reason that Scripture puts forward as to why they could not enter. Okay, the Scripture says because of their unbelief. I want to tell you that there are some connections between unbelief and rebellion and unbelief and disobedience. Okay, and this is a hectic Scripture. Jesus says this, narrow is the gate that leads to life. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. And yet Jesus quoted that, and we think, like, well, what's the context? Possibly part of the context is this account of the deliverance from Egypt. See, Egypt in Scripture is, in a sense, a picture of the world. Okay? The people of God were enslaved in Egypt. They couldn't do what they wanted. They were tied into a pattern of living and existence where they had to work hard every day for long hours. They were beaten. They were conformed into a pattern and, and life was so hard, they cried out to God and said, help us. Okay, is that not what the scripture says? Right? And then there were ten plagues or ten miracles or ten signs, whatever you want to see, that came and delivered a people. Now, I'm not talking about one or two people. I'm talking about probably over one million people that were delivered. God showed up. He sent Moses, his faithful servant. Okay? And at the end of the game, a million people left slavery. A million people. See, they, they, they were no longer a clan or a tribe or whatever. They'd become a nation. And they left the place of captivity. And so I want to ask you this morning. When the Lord Jesus found you, wherever you were, were you not captive to something? And the thing that you were captive to, was it not called sin? Okay. What happens in the accounts as we read through, through, through the Exodus is that this people 
traveled for 40 years in a desert, a wilderness. 40 years, a long time. I mean, I'm 55, so I'm thinking 40 years, have to be like 15. <laughs> and the, the majority of your life is actually spent in a place where there's not enough, you're just barely existing. Now I want to ask you, out of one million people, how many people entered the promises of God? Two. Okay, I'm so glad you guys know your word. Okay, So Jesus says, narrow is the way that leads to life, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. So out of the people that cried out to God and said, hey God, we believe you can do this. Um, you sent a leader, Moses, didn't quite understand everything that he was doing, but anyway, all these miracles came. We were delivered, and two people, two people crossed a Jordan and stepped into a territory that God said is your inheritance. That's frightening. It's scary. Okay? And that word, the passage says, Moses is speaking about something that points to the future. Is it possible that the church could actually go through a similar experience? That there are promises that have been made and we are stuck in a wilderness for 40 years, for a long period of time, for a journey that actually should take a few weeks. Okay, You see, church is not Sunday on the, you know, coming to church for an hour or two on a Sunday morning. Church is the kingdom of heaven that is at hand. Right? So Jesus, when, when, and there's a whole lot of passages that maybe get to that. So I, I don't want to maybe jump ahead. Can I read Hebrews chapter 4 quickly? Right? Hebrews chapter 4 is the place where there's a piece of scripture that we all know very well and most people can quote. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to separate between bone and marrow, muscle and tissue. Discern the intent of the heart. Okay? And I want to tell myself this morning, and I want to tell you, that much of we do of what we do is not measured by the action itself, but it's measured by the deep intent of what was behind why we did what we did. Amen? So, let's read this. Therefore, speaking about chapter 3, which we've just read, therefore, in light of this, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Who's the, written, who's the letter written to? The church. It's written to believers. It's written to you and I. And so it says that really there's a rest that is promised for the people of God. The people of Israel never entered that rest, but there remains a rest for the people of God. Okay. So the big question is, what is that rest? Is it just sitting back and doing nothing? All right. Um, and then it warns us, it says, be careful that none of us have fallen short of it. All right? So if, if the warning is given in Scripture, it means that you and I have the potential to miss this thing that God has in store for us. Isn't that a scary thing? Anybody ever missed anything that God had for them? Anybody that got it right yet first time, every time? Okay, just checking. All right. All right. Okay. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Those who heard the gospel did not combine it with faith. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit more about this. This kind of touches on what Sherman shared last week. 
All right? His life was arrested by what God did. And he heard a word that showed him his brokenness in light of a holy God. And he had to adjust the journey that he was on and walk a completely different path because his faith was combined with the word. All right? So can I say that the greatest danger that we face today is an intellectual gospel where we understand the principle, but with the eyes of the Spirit, by faith, we cannot see where God's taking us. Because the thing that he called, you know, you don't need faith if it's easy. You don't need faith if you have the capacity to walk into that place apart from God. Faith is that thing which sees, which seems to be impossible. And it says, I believe my God is able to do that. Faith is the kind of thing that says, you know, Durbanville, that little quiet place, that little dorpy on the outskirts of Cape Town, can walk in radical revival when the presence of God comes in such a way that every man's heart is stirred up, that everyone's hungry and thirsty for the more, and he's looking for living water and true manna, daily bread that comes from God. You will see revival. Okay? Why? Because a gospel that is combined with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as the Lord said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from his work. Okay, so, so the part I, I grab from that is, God has got a plan. He's seen the potential and what can be even before the foundation of the world. The way we walk into the thing that God imagined, prepared, called out, determined, is by hearing what he said and clicking it in with faith. Okay? And in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest, and it still remains, for some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in. Speaking about the Israelites, um, because of their disobedience. Right? Jesus says this, if you love me, listen to me carefully. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Okay, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And it's like sometimes I think we believe that because we worship so nicely on a Sunday and we feel all gooey and oh, I can sense the Lord's presence, I even got goosebumps, that that's loving him. It's not love, it's Jesus' love language isn't the goosebumps. Jesus' love language is obedience. Okay. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. When is it? Was it yesterday? Is it going to be tomorrow? No, it's today. When a long time later, he spoke through David, and he said, therefore, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Okay, so I just want to pause quickly there. Do not harden your heart. What hardens hearts? Okay? You know, the first time you say no to God, it's quite difficult. You feel like there's a bit of a tearing. Second time you say no to God, it's still a tearing, but it's, it's not quite as hard. It's like, you know when you get a scar? It forms like calluses. And eventually the callus becomes so thick that the Holy Spirit says something. And you know what? We don't even get it. We just carry on. Flat out. Do not harden your heart. Okay? If Joshua had given them rest, 
God would have not spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own works just as God did from his. Okay, so I just want to pause there. So if anyone who enters God's rest who enters God's rest, also rests from his own works. So so I want to say something to you. When Peter comes to the gate beautiful, and there's a man born crippled from birth, how much work did Peter do to raise that man up when he said, stand up in the name of Jesus? He said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, I give you Rise up and walk. How much work did he do? It's interesting. See, faith has the ability to appropriate what is in the kingdom, what is from heaven, apart from your own works. Faith has the ability to call out that which is not as though it were. Even in the impossibility of a man born lame. So we think, you know, faith is all about, I can understand it. I can believe it. Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I carry on living every day as if it was the same before I gave my life to him. See, the kind of faith God's looking for is, is radically different. And so, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. So that no one will fall by following the example of disobedience. The word of God is living and active Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, what does it do? It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You know, when we sin, when we, when we miss the mark, that, that's just the end of the story after a long journey. The very thing that counts is what's going on in your heart. God isn't so much interested in what you can do for him as he is what's in your heart. Why do you do what you do? What makes you tick? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you think about? As you go through the day, what is on your mind in terms of the word of God? Isn't that interesting? Can I tell you a little secret? And you all know the secret. It's not a big secret. It's very public. We just don't like to admit it. We are probably the most selfish generation that has ever walked on the face of the earth. Okay, because everything is about me, myself, and I. Every advert that you see is about how you can accumulate, how you can have more, how you can achieve. Okay? And so behind that must be a heart that has been so hardened that he is not aware of the compassion of God, the love of God, the desire of God, the, the heart that Jesus had when we sang that song about the cross where the blood flows down, okay, and it covers your sin and mine. There's something about the heart of God that is looking out there. It's not looking for his own benefit. It's looking, how can I bless? How can I redeem? How can I help? How can I love? How can I demonstrate goodness? It's an amazing thing, eh? And so the word of God, that's what it does. kind of goes right into the heart of the matter. Why do we do what we do? Amen. As we move on.
Oh, 16. Okay. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. <laughs> so, you know, when I read this passage, I often hear about the, the parts where he covered my sin and washed it away as far as the east is from the west. And, and all of that is, is true. But now, Wilmer says it like this. Now that you've become a believer, now that you are full of the Holy Spirit, in a sense, we give account for what we do with our lives. Okay? And so, so there will be a reckoning one day. It's like, it's like he loved you so much, he put these opportunities in your hand. He put your, the potential to be a berserker for God and to break open revival in Durbanville. Okay, I can see some of you saying, not me, Lord. No, no, that's for the guy next door. Okay? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet is without sin. He has, he has the revelation. This is the part that will set you free. There's nothing that you and I are going through right now that Jesus didn't go through. Nothing. Okay? It's the reason he has compassion for us. So when we're stuck in that place of, oh, Lord, I messed up. You know, I'm not really in that place of peace. I'm still on that journey trying to get there. Um, if, if we're in the place where, where we like, oh man, Lord, I, I love you. I've got my life adjusted in all these areas. But this one area, you know, this one area, I keep tripping up. And it doesn't matter what it is. Love of money, whether it's an immoral thing or whatever it is. Just this one area. He says, we've been tempted. He's been tempted in every way just as we are. And yet was without sin. He's able to sympathize with where you're at. Okay? So, so when Jesus looks at us through the mercy seat, or he's the blood on the mercy seat, in a sense, the Lord's attitude is, I don't judge you. I'm not, I'm not repelled by where you're at. But man, I want to bring you through. Man, I want you to walk into the mall. Man, I want you to appropriate everything, every resource that I paid for with my own blood, that you can become more. That you can declare that there is a kingdom at hand that is bigger and better than the thing you're experiencing right now. That will usher in a breakthrough that will break the hold of darkness over a suburb, over an area, over a city. And usher in the rule of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Can I say we are a people in a time of need? We are people in a time of need. Okay? And, and, and the need that we have is to break the yoke of unbelief. It's to be able to put our trust totally in Jesus. To not have lives that are so cluttered and busy that we forsake our first love. Amen? And there are a couple of dangers in the journey that we're on. Can I say there was a reason the people went around the mountain a number of times? There's a reason they were stuck in, in the wilderness for 40 years. And, and actually, there's a reason why we are stuck where we are. Okay, one of the first reasons that I'll share with you today is familiarity. Familiarity. So Jesus, when he comes to his own hometown, everybody thinks... I know this guy. I grew up with him. I know who his brothers and sisters are. I know his family. Familiarity. 
Can I say when you become familiar with the gospel, when you become familiar with who Jesus really is, in, in, that, in that negative context, you set a limitation on what he can do in your life. You put him in a box and you define what you think his potential is. Familiarity. See, faith thinks outside of the box. Faith calls out that which is not as though it were. Faith has no familiarity to it. Can I tell you why? Because it says, eyes not seen nor has ear heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. There's something in heaven, there's something on the mind of God which is bigger and more than the now that you're giving your life to and pouring your lifeblood out to that is huge, but you got appropriated by faith. You cannot work your way into that place. Okay? So familiarity. Second one is... Lying to oneself concerning faith. Okay, see, sometimes we like to be a religious people, okay, where we all, when I first came to Durbanville, I thought, yeah, Lord, definitely made a mistake. These guys all got it together. They, we should go back to East London, okay? And then as I got to know you better, I saw, <laughs> I saw you just like me, you know. You got all the cracks and stuff. You just dress better and you know, maybe live in nicer houses and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. The same struggles you have are the same struggles every human being on the planet has. Okay. And the struggle is that we want, by the strength of our own arm, to make a way. Can I say there's nothing wrong with the strength of your own arm? Give God glory that he's given you strength that there's stuff that you can do. But the limit to which you can go by the strength of your own arm is incomparable to how far you'll go in God if you'll trust him to do the multiplication. If you'll trust him for the word that says, Behold, the fields are ripe to harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send workers because there's a harvest that needs to come in. Amen? Okay, so you and I, we can do the one-on-one evangelism. But I want to tell you that if the Spirit of God had to saturate the atmosphere over Durbanville, you'd have people weeping in garage stations, not knowing why. You'd, the fields would be so ripe, you'd take the sickle and you'd harvest and you'd just say, let me tell you about this Jesus, the one who has died and paid for you so that you could walk into eternal life. Can I say that that will require faith? It will require you to believe that God can use you Regardless of where you've come from. So there's two things. Familiarity. You know, Jesus, the second thing is lying or being dishonest with yourself about faith. Um, the, when Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, if you remember the story, takes three guys up the mountain. There's a boy that, that is epileptic and he's having fits. And the disciples could not cast out the demon. Remember the story? And so, so then the disciples come to him after and they say, well, why could we not cast it out? Unbelief. But the dads, the fathers, the boy's father demonstrated something which I think is, is key for where we are right now. Okay? He, he says, because Jesus asked him, do you believe I can do this? And the man says, yes, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. 
Right? Can I say God is not so, if that word is so sharp, it goes right into your heart and it figures all this stuff out. Where there's unbelief, no belief, middle belief, like indifference, apathy, whatever, the word of God discerns that. Okay? So you cannot put a pretense on before God. Like, before you can begin to do business with God, you've got to come to Him as you are. Okay? You, you know, you may be in a Bible study, a community, Wherever. Some people may think great things about you. But only God knows what's in your heart. Okay? And what I want to say is that we are maybe 400 people on the very best day that we have. And there are 80,000 people out in the community. And if we are to be the salt and the light that God has called us to be, we're probably going to have to be a people that says, Your Lord, I believe you can reach Durbanville, but help me in my unbelief. Amen? Who's up for that? Okay. And then the, the other area that I think at the moment, and it's a strategy of the enemy that is keeping the people of God bound, and I hinted at it at the beginning of my preach um, when I spoke about minimalism. <laughs> okay. And, and it's this thing of busyness. Okay, everyone's busy. And, and you know, we kind of use language that goes like this. It's the 21st century. The, the mom and the dad must work. And, and, and a lot of the stuff that we are saying is tied to a standard of living that we think we deserve. Okay, so, so I want to take a step back and say, as much as I can fight for these things, and God gives me the capacity, the intellect, the education, the natural ability to get to those places. We are operating in a broken world, okay, where darkness rules and the prince of this world actually has influence in so many different areas. And as much as you can get that stuff, guess who the ruler over the area still is? Okay? Why would you want to build a palace in a cesspit? It makes no sense. But what happens if you say, no, the light of the world, you know, in the beginning of John's gospel, it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of the world, and the darkness has never overcome the light. What if the rule and the reign of Christ comes in in such a measure that darkness is displaced? I want to tell you the curse that is upon people's work, upon the sweat of their brow, would be removed and you'd see a multiplication because of a kingdom dynamic that the fullness of the earth is the Lord's, it's His. And if you begin to operate as a son in the kingdom, their stuff is going to break open to you that is way bigger and more than you could have sweated to get under a king that rules in darkness. So, so to, to adjust your mind right now and say, no, we want Jesus to rule and reign over Durbanville. We want the kingdom of heaven to come. Understand that the Lord is still coming. We will not see the fullness of the kingdom until he returns. But there, there's something that's put in the believer. Can, can I say that? There's a deposit. He's called the Holy Spirit. Okay? You carry part of the Trinity in you. Oh. Okay. So let's just take a second. I carry part of the Trinity in me. That means cancer better watch out. Oh no, unbelief. Cancer, that's with a capital C. 
I want to tell you that Jesus has a capital J. All right? Okay? That's way bigger than the C. And if the third part of the Trinity is in me, if I speak a word in faith, I believe it's going to happen. Okay? As opposed to us speaking a word, which we presume because we got the, I don't know, the poem right, we quoted the text right. But if the word of God went right into my heart, it's like, oh, Jesus, help me. I don't think I can do this. Oh, Jesus, please don't get him, don't get them to get me to pray for that person. Oh, Lord, those finances or, or whatever it is, it's like, it's like, ah, oh, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. Right? And if you come to the place where you say, Lord, I can't do this. But thank you, Jesus, you gave me the Holy Spirit. And Father, if I heard a word from you, and I have the confidence to speak that word, because if you've said it, it's going to happen, I will speak that word. And I will break the paradigm, and the, and the principalities and the powers will bow their knee, because Jesus is seated above all power, rule, and authority. And all things are being put under his feet at this time. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you have any unbelief concerning this? One honest person. When the Lord returns, will he find faith? So, so I'm, I'm stretching myself as well as I'm stretching you. So, so I say it like this. Lynn often says to me, please don't preach something that, um, that you're not walking in right now. Okay, So I always counter it with this. The word of God shows me prophetically what ought to be. I might not yet be there, but there's a journey to get there. And I'm going to do everything that the Lord requires of me to get to that place. Who wants to be on that journey? Can you stand?